This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm solid to the crack, never change me and my son the rain. It gets wild when we hang. I'm solid, could touch the blue part of the flag. Welcome to Sportsfire, the sports comedy podcast. Yes, the only one. I'm your host, Adam Weinerb, and when the Yankees lose, I yearn for the steely cold isolation of being shadow banned. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and calling the third quarter of every Cincinnati Bengals preseason game. But just the third quarter. When the fourth hits, that's TJ Huchmanzada's music. Big show today, Coach Tony Vlahovic is here, but first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. Spurs icon Tony Parker, head coach Greg Popovich, and assistant Becky Hammond were all inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend. Now, you might be detecting a distinct San Antonio flavor in this class, but there's no bias here, as the Hall of Fame also inducted the Alamo, a downtown canal, and a Fiesta Pepper. Now, the Spurs might not be the NBA's most interesting dynasty. Other inductees included Miami Heat icon Dwayne Wade, Mavericks star Dirk Nowitzki, Lakers legend Pau Gasol, and Three Rivers Community College coach Gene Bess, aka The Big Four. It's really hard to believe that Wade is old enough to be in the Hall of Fame already, but it's even harder to believe that he still looks this young, even after giving LeBron most of his blood. During his speech, Wade did share a heartwarming moment with the man who allowed him to believe he could be a champion. Referee Bennett Salvatore. Remember 2006? Dirk sure does. From the third row. Seething. Former Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott has signed with the New England Patriots, and there sure are plenty of rings to chase in the museum at Patriot Place. I'm most interested in the Patriot way in. Something tells me Kraft was feeding Zeke long before Robert paid up. Got that mac and cheese bod. The Indianapolis Colts expect Jonathan Taylor to report to camp this week, but he has not rescinded his trade request, so I think I have a pretty fun solution for the whole James Harden problem. Just to recap, the Colts' position is that they won't negotiate a contract extension ahead of schedule with Taylor, and Taylor's position is running back. That pretty much sums up why we're here. On Monday, James Harden himself opened up about his relationship with Daryl Morey, stating, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. But two questions remain. Is Daryl Morey some kind of liar, and will Harden ever be part of an organization that he's a part of? Man, their relationship has really deteriorated since Houston when Harden begged for a trade out of there. Deuce Vaughn's electric performance in the backfield this weekend had Cowboys fans angry because they were watching the Yankees game. Vaughn had 11 touches on his first two drives and then scampered into the end zone to cap the second one. Man, how did the Cowboys scouts even find this guy? The scout is his dad? Got it. Great. Ben Platt running back. 
Former Canadian Football League quarterback Nathan Rourke's never say die touchdown pass actually won that game for the Jaguars. After the game, Rourke said the throw was a dream, but that he should probably hurry back to Canada for the health care. Concerns for Carolina's offensive line marred Bryce Young's Panthers debut. The top concern? They couldn't find him. He's, uh, he's somewhere under there. And college football is in flux as conference realignment threatens to make the Pac-12 disappear and ACC dissolve. So I guess it's official. It's time to pay the commissioners. If only ACC Commissioner James J. Phillips was allowed to endorse hubcaps, this never would have happened. And now, my interview with the inspirational coach Tony Vlahovic, whose hat is in the Baseball Hall of Fame and whose heart is with Special Olympics. Enjoy. Coach Tony Vlahovic, thank you so much for joining me to break down uh, your career, where it's gone, your successes, and what you're working on these days. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Adam. It's, it's thank you for having me on your show. It's, it's great to great to meet you. Looking forward to talking with you. Awesome. Uh, well, I know from uh, reading your story and learning a bit more that you've obviously had a varied career in baseball that has led you to working with a lot of Special Olympics athletes and hoisting a few trophies. Um, but earlier in your career, when you maybe did not know that was the path. Growing up and even in your younger days, did you know that you would end up working in baseball someday in some capacity? To be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure about that. I knew it would be in sports. I was a three-sport athlete in high school and a two-sport athlete in college. So I've always been around sports. Baseball has always been something that I've loved, but I never thought that it would be at the level now working with athletes with disabilities. Uh, completely changed my life in, in a lot of great ways. Uh, just a the passion, the 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 team, the family-oriented feelings with them. How would you like to come in and you're having a really crappy day and, and one of the guys comes up and says, hey, coach, just gives you – put those big arms around you, gives you a big hug, and you just start to smile just like you are. That's, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Changes the whole focus. Yeah. And so let's let's start there, because, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in your background that I want to dive into, you know, your time in the Red Sox organization and, and how you eventually got to where you are today. But, uh, you know, that is the important pivot point that I think we you know, we want to sell what you know, it's it's clear what those athletes have have given you athletes with disabilities have given you and taught you since you've gotten involved. Um, what was the you know, what inspired you first to pursue that opportunity, though? Had you worked with them a little bit? You kind of knew what it felt like or, or were you flying, you know, sort of uneducated there, just hoping for a new opportunity? Honestly, Adam, they, athletes with disabilities were just people with disabilities have been around me my entire life. Growing up in, in the northeast part of Pennsylvania, in the neighborhood I grew up in, there were a few kids who were in special ed who were, were really sweet kids but other kids would pick on them and wouldn't pick them for, for their team. We would play all kinds of sports. You know, we're outside all the time. And I just had this feeling to protect them and keep an eye on them. I don't know where it came from. It came from more, I'm sure, from, from inside in my heart. And it just progressed throughout the years. And I never thought much about it. And even when I was playing pro ball and I would see someone with a disability, I was drawn to them and talk to them where other players would kind of just kind of, you know, kind of skirt their way around. And I would just go over and start a conversation and the smile and the response were just incredible. 
So it's, it's been throughout my life that I have been involved with some people with disabilities. I don't have anybody in my family that has a disability, but it's, it's you know, like I said, the people I grew up with, people that, that I came uh, across through, throughout my baseball career and after the career and just never, never really put it together until later on in life. I, I guess I'm a little slow, Adam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, obviously you were building that foundation for quite a while. So I don't think you can blame yourself for taking a while to realize it. No, it did. It, 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 it took quite a few years. And my introduction to Special Olympics was through New Jersey and a person there named Mark Edenson, who had an incredible insight to basically changing the, the landscape of, of that whole Special Olympics at that time, the 45 year history, basically said to me, Tony, wear a, a baseball hat all your life. These athletes have worn a baseball hat all their lives, but they've never had the opportunity to play. We need to change that. And from that day on, Adam, it just something stuck with me. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs um, dealing with with, the, you know, on a, a larger basis, trying to get baseball started across the country for people in general with disabilities, not only Special Olympics. And there, there are a lot of barriers out there. Um, th there are a lot of nonprofits who work with with individuals with disabilities through sports that really could use people's help you know not only not only financially but volunteers places like autism speaks you know in addition to special olympics challenge athletes foundation there's another great one called athletes helping athletes like on the high school level so you have a lot of these places that really could use help and it just it, trying to bring that awareness to the public's eye um, through some incredible partnerships. And one is, is we actually have an event next week with the Phillies. And the Phillies have been incredibly generous and are giving uh, me 100 tickets for athletes from New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And they're going to put on a clinic in the afternoon, their staff. Then we have a, a little bit of a break. We'll feed them lunch. And then we're going to a 405 game. And we have some surprises for them, some swag. So, but, but they are so excited. I get calls and emails on a daily basis of people just, just for this opportunity. And I know if we can do that here, we can do that across the country. That's amazing. And I promise I will not spoil any of the surprises on this show. So we'll, we'll keep those under wraps for now. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm I'm working on them. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep that. It's, it's just important that they're there. We don't need to say what they are. Um, no, no. You, uh, you know, everyone I've spoken to with Special Olympics and who works with Special Olympics, obviously the participation is the emphasis like you just said removing all barriers to entry it's people who want to play we give them the chance to play that being said winning the gold medal for new jersey in 2014 for you has to have been pretty special to to not only compete but to bring a championship home as well you see the smile on my face that 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 took my entire career as an athlete and a coach to a very different level Watching these athletes from the time we started back in 2011, basically creating a team, having 19 athletes in that lineup that night in the gold medal game, playing at Trenton Thunder Stadium against a, a, a very good Rhode Island team and playing in front of a few thousand people. 
And just the experience of watching these athletes perform after all these practices and the teamwork and our dinners together and, and talking about what we can do and watching them celebrate this championship. And the amazing part was Rhode Island was celebrating with us. They won the silver medal. And it was like the, the pictures at the end, Adam, were just both teams together. But it was an incredible celebration. Like I said, for me, um, the Hall of Fame happened to be there. The Hall of, Hall of Fame in Cooperstown actually um, took my hat. They, they took a gold medal, a jersey, sent them 15 pictures. They have the lineup card. Um, so I, I didn't make the Hall of Fame as a player, but I did make it as a manager. <laughs> yeah, you're closer than me, I would say. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I don't think you need to make the plaque room to be in the Hall of Fame, in, in my opinion. I was I was going to ask about that. It's, you know, 2014 to now. Has that even sunk in yet, really, that your hat from the run is in the hall? Or, or do you still kind of have to pinch yourself when you think about it? Well, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody and, and they'll say, I read that you're in the Hall of Fame. I, what what did you do? And then I explain <laughs> that to them. And I say, well, they have my hat. And I said, well, what do you mean they have your hat? I said, well, my hat is on display along with the other other items that, that we gave them. And it is. It, it's surreal. I, to 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 think about something there and actually a friend of mine and the two of us paid for a trip and we took the team up to Cooperstown and had a, had a, a guided tour and put the white gloves on and held Lou Gehrig's bat um, was able to to look at Babe Ruth's things Marion Rivera Jeter uh, Steve Carlton and my guys were just their eyes lit up. It was just, they, they said it was after winning the gold medal, that was the best day in their life. This was the second mo best day in their in their life. So when you hear that and you see the joy and, and feel it from, from these athletes, along with myself, I had tears in my eyes throughout that day. You know, just, just being around them and realizing, wow, we're, we're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was going to be, I mean, you just covered everything I wanted to touch on. That was going to be my next question because I have a, fairly special relationship with that town of Cooperstown. I mean, I had my bachelor party there, not to brag, uh, but I've never gotten, I've never gotten the white glove treatment. So I, I was going to say, you know, did they take you behind the scenes? What do you remember from that day? But clearly you do have a pretty enduring relationship with that city. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, come up with us next time we go up, we'll take you. How's that? I'm happy to. Yeah. They, they didn't get, they don't give out the white gloves to just anybody. They've never let me, they never let me back there, but I'd love to go. No, they, they, that, that was special. That, that was special. And my, like I said, my guys and my guys were tormenting me throughout that experience because they would give me the old, you know, you, you can't touch anything. That's why you have the gloves on and they would pretend like they were going to drop something. And, and I give them the look <laughs> I, that that's when the, that's when the coach's evil eye would like look over and like, don't, and then they'd start to laugh because it was just like one of those moments that they, they were just giddy. It, it was like, you know, like, just a room full of of just energy and this this like childhood just glee about like wow this is so cool and took pictures took I don't know how many pictures even the bus driver that that took us up we took him in with us happened <laughs> to be a baseball fan and he keeps he continues to write to me saying it was one of the best experiences of of his life he got to meet the guys got to go on a tour and it has changed his life so pretty, pretty incredible across the board. So I'm taking notes here. It turns out if I had just learned to drive a bus earlier, I might've already gotten behind the scenes too. Is that what you're telling me? 
Adam, I'll tell you what, we, you know, it's, it's too bad we didn't know you then. You know, you <laughs> could have walked you right right in. You had been been with with the boys. You could, you could fit right in. Right yeah, in. I would, <laughs> except for I would pretend to drop the things and then actually drop them. You'd actually get mad at me. You'd be like, all right, well, <laughs> that's on the ground now. Okay. Yeah, you know what? You'd be running laps around Cooperstown. Nah, that's all. You know, I'd have to. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I'll be on double day field. You guys check out the rest I, of the museum. That's right. I took the guys down there. They actually sang take me out to the ball game in the snow when we were there and people on the street stopped and filmed it. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I, I used to, that used to be my trick. I used to go up to Cooperstown in the winter because nobody yeah. else would. So you'd go up, right. there'd be ice sculptures in the street. Some of my best memories are doing that. And you see something you never expect, like a champion special Olympics baseball team doing the same thing and, and singing. Yeah. That, that's yeah, why you go. Singing. Yeah, impromptu. Just hey, let's 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 sing. Take me out to the ball game, and they sounded great. And just bellowing. And they said people stopping in the street. So so just just great. <laughs> just that just yeah, great. That's and, amazing. And, and that that. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Those experiences, Adam, really help to break down those barriers with people. Because uh, I see it all the time with the book that I've written. I take at least one or two of the athletes with me for every book signing. And it's an experience for them just watching them. And they, they sign the book that the, the, the player who's on the cover with me, his name is Andy. And Andy was experiencing some difficulty. The, the, the picture came out to be it, it, it's it's an incredible in the moment type of, of shot. He, when he was younger, got hit by a pitch, was afraid to go up to the plate. And we had this heart to heart right there on the field to get him to go into the batter's box. So, you know, that, that interaction w w was, was real, but having him sit at the table with me and he kept pointing to the book, and showing me, I said, yep, yeah, that's, that's your picture. Because I, I, of course, I talked to him and his mom beforehand to make sure that that it was okay and then permission. Thrilled, thrilled, and loved when people say, "Will you sign a book for me?" Signs the book, hands it to me. Just great. Just yeah. Great. Tell me a little bit about the the story behind the book too. That that's just need an opportunity. Let's play ball, right? Yes, yes. Book came out in June. the The story behind it is. There are a few facets to it. One is my dad passed away early in his life. He passed away actually on 9-11. And I never really got to ask him a lot of questions that I should have asked him about his life. So the more of a, one of the motivations was for my kids is to write a book about my life 
and share my experiences. So when I am gone, that they do have something if they never asked me or I never told them. The other part was just the ex experience of, of working with individuals with disabilities and how it's profoundly changed my life in, in so many ways and meeting people like you, you know, just getting that opportunity. And I saw what it did for them. And I wanted to use this book and baseball as a platform to demonstrate to the public that I wanted to help break down those barriers, those stereotypes, the challenges that are out there for, for all people with individual, all people with disabilities. You know, there's 61 million people in the United States with disabilities. That's about a quarter of the population. It's incredible. It's a lot of people. And you see how people interact or don't interact with them because they are different. They, they may look different, sound different. So that's really, you know, the, the, the primary motivation of the book was, was to get it out there and expose people to the athletes and have, have the athletes exposed to a wide range of people to see that that's just another person. So the, the, the book really evolved from there. I actually was speaking at a, a former professional athletes um, benefit in Philadelphia uh, with a, a gentleman named Jermaine Jones who played for the Sixers and the Lakers mm -hmm. and asked me to come and talk about um, my own mental health and, and how that suffered after my career was over and how his career ended. And the publisher that, that he was dealing with approached me after that and said, you have a great story. I think we really need to tell your story from a, a mental health perspective and uh, working with disabilities. And so it evolved from there. And, and I always wanted to do it, but I didn't have the confidence. And I, I've never written anything that, you know, that long. When I realized it was over 200 pages, I was pretty impressed even writing it with my left hand. So, I, <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it, it was an experience. I'm, I'm learning more about that business and trying to get it out there, get that message out to as many people as possible. I'm very interested in the mental health aspect of that as well, because you know, for those who don't know, uh, you know, so much of your story, the part of your story that has landed you in the Hall of Fame is working with athletes with intellectual disabilities. But you're right. The, the, I mean, your baseball life, as we touched on earlier, is quite long. You, you signed professionally with the Red Sox to start your career in between. You, I'm sure, went a lot of different directions before landing where you are now in a way that has changed your life so much. Um how I'd like to know, like you, you, you touched on it, but how did you handle the disappointment of your career ending? And, and as I understand it ended under, you know, somewhat, um, you know, extreme circumstances. Yes. Yes. I, I was hit from behind by a uh, drunk driver and my, I'm a, I was a left-handed pitcher. My left leg was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So that basically took me through a, a period of learning how to walk again. So I went from being a professional athlete to learning how to walk again and basically becoming in a lot of people's eyes disabled. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, you know look, look at that guy kind of thing mm -hmm. from a mental perspective, Adam, I struggled. I, I was depressed. I was angry. I did not handle it. Well, I, I could not keep relationships with, with people in general. Um, I went back for, went back to, to grad school. And I was a fish out of water. I, I wanted to finish up. I, I, I wanted to get my myself in another direction because my career was over at that point from a playing perspective. And I really, really struggled with, didn't like myself. So there was a real evolution of 
working with my, my family w- was great and supportive, but I, I finally reached out to get some professional help. And that's what I really stress. I stress that to my athletes now that I coach in high school and that I work with outside or who I meet um, is reaching out to other people, you know, creating, you know, that, that, that network of, of people who care about you and, and are there for you. So it was, it was definitely a very, very dark period of my life and to come out on the other side and realize how close I was to, to really just my life turning completely around and not doing any of this with, 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 you know, with my life was scary. And that's why I try to keep an eye on people. Like I said, people I come across athletes, non-athletes, people that, that I meet just to, to, to be there and kind of say, guide them, you know, hopefully to, to in the right direction. But yeah, I, I look back on that and, and that was, uh, that was a period of my life that, I learned a lot, but it was, it was scary at times. Um, it really was. I feel like the theme here is, is removing barriers to entry where, you know, you spent so much time working to remove the limitations and, and allowing everyone to compete now, but sometimes, you know, there's a different barrier. It's an internal barrier. It's one in your own psyche that you have to get rid of before you think you're worthy of competing. And it, it feels like you spent a lot of your life removing both of those for yourself for others absolutely you, you put that 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 is phrased beautifully because that's really what it was was it was it was internal you know the when we talk about people with disabilities are a lot of external but also they deal with with internal barriers also so that my life experience was beneficial working with them also because i could talk through that this is what i did and when, when i shared that with some of them um, it really opened their eyes and 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 their family. So my life experience has has helped me and hopefully continues to help others. But it really is. I mean, those barriers to entry are there and, and uh, trying to knock them down one at a time. It's uh, trying to strike as many people out as we possibly can and get get, you know, get them back in the dugout. So, yeah, also, I mean, not for nothing, but you start with the Red Sox. I see all this Yankees memorabilia behind you. Did you grow up a Yankee fan? How did you react to learning that the Red Sox were the team that was coming to call? Or am I off base here? <laughs> no. Well, well, the what is behind me is my my family, my wife and my kids are Yankees fans. And that's the that's the funny story. I did not know my wife when I was playing. And that was that that's the big joke. If if we probably would have never met, she did not to this day, you know, the Red Sox. So uh, right now I'm, I'm pretty quiet around the house with the Yankees not doing well and the Red Sox playing, you know, kind of. Holding All right. Their own. Yeah. Yeah. They're holding their own. So um, but I but I do respect like uh, like Pettit and Gidry, d- different guys. You know, in fact, I I when I started out with the Red Sox, my training partner was Roger Clemens. So getting the opportunity to get to know him and, and work out with him. And I was like a little leaguer compared to this guy. I mean, he was throwing the ball in the high nineties and he looked like a linebacker. Um, so I was a left-handed pitcher throwing 90, he's throwing 98. So, I, but to, to backtrack, I, when I, I played for a year in Italy and I played really well, had, had, a, had a good season. When I came home, I had three teams that were interested in me, the Mets, Braves, and the Red Sox basically came out of, out of nowhere. The Mets and Braves are going back and forth and, you know, we don't, don't do this, don't do that. So we're, we're going to work with you. Mm-hmm. Red Sox called and said, we have a contract. We have a bonus check. Are you ready to sign? 
I said, absolutely. (laughs) Let's do this. I, I really didn't care who I played for. I just wanted the opportunity that that was a boyhood boyhood dream is, is to play on a professional level. And And there's, yeah, there's, that's where it came from. So, yeah, there's that theme again, though, opportunity, like somebody was ready to sign you, you jumped at the opportunity because they cleared the path. Like, um, I think, you know, to, to wrap, I, I wonder just, you know, you have obviously gotten so much, you have come so far and you have so much to express in your literature. If you had to distill the advice to somebody who is interested in learning more about Special Olympics, whether it's just participating or promoting, what's a piece of advice that you wish you'd received before getting involved? Probably more of an easier introduction into somebody who is already volunteering and not only with, with Special Olympics, but, you know, the Autism Speak, some of these other organizations I, I mentioned, just having someone to to talk to, to ask them what their experience is like and what what can I expect? I, I had no idea what to expect. I, I really and it wasn't very clear that wasn't done very well, unfortunately. And over time, I learned and the people were, were wonderful but there, there, that would have made it a lot easier. And if I could give advice to people out there to say, hey, I, I want to do something. I want to get back. I want to help out. Is go and observe um, an organization or a group of individuals that you're interested in working with. Talk to some of the people who work there. Talk, talk, to the, talk to the individuals and just get a feel. Also, uh, there's so much information on the web that, that you, can, you can get. But I think the firsthand experience is really the key. For instance, I'm inviting a bunch of people to come with us next Wednesday to experience this day with, with the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And that that will, you know, a lot of students to open their eyes and experience it. Because you can read about certain things, Adam, but when you're face to face with somebody and, and they're talking to you or they're asking you and you, you're interacting with them, that's a completely different level. Yeah, the 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 things that I have learned the clearest have come from face to face interaction over the past year or so um before we sign off uh anything else i need to know about how people can help in in the immediate you know short term uh you know anything else about your mission with with base able i see on your shirt just anything that people can do uh who are interested in getting involved sure Uh, for instance the uh, base able website is baseable.org and also the uh basically if, if you get a chance an opportunity to read read the book and just learn um, about the athletes and learn about about my life experience and how I work through it. And, and that's available on Amazon, Bar- Barnes and Noble. Um, also, there we put a lot of content out on, on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn uh, through Baseable and also my, my personal, you know, at Tony Blahovic. So th- there is a lot of information out there. And if you do have questions, there's an opportunity for you to reach out through those avenues to talk to us and, and DM us and go back and forth. Or if you are going to the website, you can see what we're doing, our, 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 next, our next adventure. Like we have something coming up in Lynchburg, Virginia in September, where we're putting on a baseball exhibition with athletes from three different states. So, you know, those kind of opportunities. So th- they are out there, but th- that's that would be great. And, and really a call to action for people to, to instead of thinking about it, go out and do something. Go out and, go out and talk to somebody, go out and meet somebody. 
and give a person with a disability an opportunity with, with whatever you have. It could be a work, could be a sport, whatever it is, Adam. Of course. Uh, the book is Just Need an Opportunity, Let's Play Ball. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for joining, for sharing. Uh, and I look forward to hopefully uh, getting that trip to the hall in the future. You got it. You got a deal. Coach Tony Vlahovic, everybody. Follow him on social media to learn more and keep tabs on Base Able's journey, as well as those surprises at the Phillies game, which I got to check those out. And now my final flame. James Harden may be a diva, but if he'd only deed up, he might be bringing Maury titles to Philadelphia. Instead, Daryl got a scare this week when he received the toughest trade request of all, a B-trade request. Not only did Harden ask out of Philly, but he asked in on Spilly, Spilly that T specifically. Maury and Harden were fast friends who really seemed to bond in H-Town. Now they've schemed to bomb in Ake Town, and they've become last friends, e.g. the last friend you'd ever want to meet. Barely a friend, in fact. How will it end? It's already over. Harden has drawn his line in the sand and lied to be banned while Daryl is over a barrel. Don't expect Harden to step back into Philadelphia proper in his fresh Adidas. That stands for all day I dream about sad Daryl Morey. The next time Harden pump fakes, he might be a plump fake. Either that or this is how a heart breaks in the city of brotherly love. Or again, if he doesn't get traded, it'll be the city of smotherly nugs. Chicken nuggets smothered in gravy, which would be theoretically fattening. God, I'm running out of steam. If Daryl says yes to the request, he'll be saying yes at James's behest. But this is less Kleinfeld, more Seinfeld. It's darkly funny and shows the absurdity in everyday life. Sometimes even the best of pals can become the worst of fails when one of them plays basketball like the best of snails. Trust the process, rust the progress. So yes, doctor, that was all of line one. As you can tell, my vision is perfect. My thanks to Coach Tony Vlahovic. We'll see you in two weeks. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.